welcome to Cruise Club. We've got the Need the Need to Podcast. This is episode 33, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol from 2011. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us tonight, we have returning guest, returning champion of the show, Jeremy Kelly. Hello, Jeremy. Hey, how's it going? Very well. Thank you for joining us for what might be apparently my favorite Tom Cruise movie. I don't know. I'm as <laughs> surprised as everybody. <laughs> you keep saying that. It's like... <laughs> Every time there's a new one you love, it becomes your favorite, and that's great. I'm not, I'm not against it. You know, I, just I love think it. as of right now, this is ranked my number one cruise movie on Letterboxd. Man, oh man, like I, for, I don't know how I forgot how much I liked this movie, but yeah. I did. And boy, is it good. This is one of those two that sort of came in the series. It's my least seen, but boy, I, I loved it. It like, it hit that sweet spot for me right between parts one and two. And I'll get into more of that later and stuff, but like, <laughs> oh boy, what a, what a fun rewatch. So Jeremy, a little bit of background is that because I am taking a trip this month, we're recording this and night and day basically back to back. And so we recorded the night and day episode <laughs> oh. yesterday and so I watched these two movies literally back to back. Like I had like an hour or two in between. And the opening sequence of this movie, I had more fun with, no offense, Mike, <laughs> than I did with all of Night and Day. I was like, oh my God. Like I forgot because we were saying on Night and Day, no disrespect to that movie because I think it's a fun, fine movie meant to be kind of brain mush. But like mm-hmm. this is the thing that it's sending up sort of. And then you see the thing and the thing is yeah, a really just... good thing. And it's like, <laughs> oh, shit. This is great. Who boy. Yeah, yeah, like even within like the first couple minutes reestablishing the tone of Mission Impossible and then going into that like prison break, which I think is what you're what you're oh, referring to, right? Even, yeah. so even the whole like Sawyer jumping okay. off the roof, like, like okay, even yeah. from the literal beginning of the movie, I was like, oh, okay. oh my God, yeah. Okay, hold on. Before I go further, let me give a plot summary to anybody who has not seen Ghost Protocol, which if you have not seen Ghost Protocol, go see the Ghost Protocol. Just <laughs> do it. Okay, so we're in Budapest. Sawyer from Lost jumps off a roof, kills some guys. Then he gets killed by Leah Sado from Blue is the Warmest Color and also a Bond movie. The team then breaks Ethan out of a Russian prison he saves a guy named Bogdan. New to the team, we've got Paula Patton as agent, not Peggy Carter. And Benji passes field exam, so Benji's with the team too. No Ving Rhames until the final like five minutes of the movie. Yeah. I have no research on whether he just didn't want to be involved or had a conflict or anything. There's nothing on IMDb about that, so I don't know. But I was very happy when he showed up. Anyway, I digress. So because this is a Mission Impossible movie, they are, of course, tracking down stolen nuclear launch codes because, of course, they are. We learned that Ethan and Jules split up since the last movie, and he went off the grid. They then, well, we don't know that yet. They just oh, split I'm up. sorry. Didn't mean to jump ahead. <laughs> they infiltrate the Kremlin. They come up empty. The Kremlin explodes. Ethan is arrested. They suspect him. He then escapes. He does a cool zipline thing. Everyone suspects the IMF. The president enacts ghost protocol, which disavows IMF. And they're like, basically, if you get caught, you're a terrorist. Cruz meets up with the secretary of the IMF and analyst, Brandt, played by Jeremy Renner, played by Hawkeye. And the secretary is killed and Cruz and Jeremy Renner escape. They go to Dubai. Ethan climbs the world's tallest building. Like, if you know one thing from this movie, it's probably this scene. That was definitely the thing that I remember when I was getting ready to rewatch this, where he scales the uh, building. Yeah, he basically free solos the tallest building in the world uh, with a sticky (laughs) glove that fails him. He then rappels down, runs alongside the building, free jumps into the room, almost doesn't make it, is caught. Then there's simultaneous meetings, which is super cool stuff. There's spy stuff. There's a foot chase through a sandstorm. Leah Sadu gets kicked out and killed through a window. Ethan catches up to know that it was a masked guy he was chasing is Cobalt, who is this, you know, extremist, nuclear extremist. Brant 
Jeremy Renner was in the field protecting Ethan and Jules. He failed. Uh, he thought that Jules was murdered and that, you know, Ethan went a little bit crazy or whatever, as you would if your wife was killed. Ethan gets help from Bogdan. The team infiltrates a party to recover the nuclear codes. A nuke fires. There's another amazing action set piece in a car park. Tom Cruise yells, mission accomplished, <laughs> to no avail. And then he fixes it just in time, saves the world. Bing Graham shows up, gives Ethan some shit for saying mission accomplished. Ethan sees Jules, she sees him, they seem good. It seems like they're still in love, but just can't be in love together. And then as he's walking away, we hear about the syndicate, which is going to set up <laughs> Rogue Nation next time. So oh boy. the way that I've been doing these plot summaries is I write them down as the movie goes on, then I go back and I eliminate the stuff that is sort of extraneous. And mm -hmm. there's so yeah. much here that I got rid of, and there's still so much that I can't. Like some of that <laughs> stuff I didn't have to say, but like, you did a great not. job. Yeah, Thank because you, so you can't much. detail like every moment of the escape. You know what I'm saying? You can't be ah. like, and then Jeremy Renner's <laughs> floating inside a giant supercomputer. You know, it's... oh yeah. <laughs> in the classic Mission Impossible pose, let us dive right into it. I know this is a very difficult question because I have thought about it since I watched this yesterday. I don't know what my answer is. Jeremy, if you had to pick a favorite moment or a favorite part of Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, what is your favorite part of this movie? What What do you love about this movie? I'm assuming. Yeah. Assuming. You love this movie, but maybe not. I do very much enjoy it. Like, and I have to rewatch all the Mission Impossibles again. But I, I do remember this movie just being the uh, first time uh, it uh, genuinely wowed me. The first three are, are definitely uh, competent movies, but uh, I think this is the one where everything uh, started to uh, get pushed uh, to the next level, so to speak. Well, so what Mike and I have learned is that the first one really blew us away. We were like, oh my God, this is better than we thought it was going to be. Solid espionage, solid, just, it, yeah. And it, it benefits from being small, I think. Like, it's a global right. movie, but it's a small story, and I think that it works really well. We remember two not being good and three being great, and they both wound up about the same, that they're both good and fun, but neither is really exceptional. And this one is like, holy moly, like what is going on here? I'm assuming, Jeremy, that you have seen, have you seen all six movies? I know you said you have to rewatch them, but are you familiar? Like, do you know all six and do you have a favorite of those six? Yeah, I, I have seen all of them. At this point, I would say that my favorite is probably Fallout. Okay. But this is very close, though. I don't know how we have Rogue Nation and Fallout still to go, Mike. Like, I don't know what know. this is going to look like, but boy, oh boy. That, that's what was so crazy watching this going like, they're going to get better than this like I can't, you know and like a little but like it's amazing how consistently great they are from here on out. yeah like, yep and this isn't even the Christopher McQuarrie one this is the Brad Bird directed yeah. one this is his live action debut yeah. and it's like yeah, man, yeah, oh, man. Yeah. okay so Jeremy let's get back to it favorite parts favorite moments what do you love about this one I did uh, enjoy the uh, sort of uh, double interrogation thing if, if you would call it that but basically impersonating each other like Ethan and uh, Brant are, are, are impersonating the Wistrom and uh, the uh, code experts and uh, Paul Patton is impersonating uh, Leia Sudo and they're both uh, uh, trying to feel each other out and get like information from each other but they don't want to can't reveal who they are and you know it's a lot of bluffing going on and i thought that was a really great and uh suspenseful sequence there yeah it's oh. kind of amazing that's another moment where i was like oh yeah like when they um the sort of switcheroo to get the codes but i did not remember like how tense it was like this the, the whole diamond exchange with benji and the false arm and and just yeah. like having to wait for for responses and and when the camera like goes from one room and then it sort of just like drops down into the other room it's like wow this is so well choreographed staged basically uh spire climbing the the, the uh, outside of the uh, building uh, something that i've always remembered and the uh the uh, sandstorm that uh, comes uh, 
soon after that. When he's climbing the building and he's like, what is that? Or they somebody says, what is that? And it's like a sandstorm. It's like, oh, it's not far away. But you're also thinking like, but it's going to get here at some point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he says, don't worry about that yet. But yeah. like, you're going to have to. <laughs> and so it doesn't impact him while he's climbing, what is it, like 11 or 12 or 13 stories up from whatever floor they're on, like 119 <laughs> to 130. But like, it hits in a big way and it's beautifully shot. Like, you know, I don't want to, this might be blasphemous. I don't know that it is, but it's, it's reminiscent of like Fury Road. Like it's that beautiful, like sandy barren kind of wasteland but still like looks great like it doesn't look muddy or dirty it looks beautiful and like the cinematography there is just amazing yeah it's really cool when they're chasing each other through the storm like he's gonna do something like this again in the mummy and this stuff has been done before in mummy movies and things but never as sort of legible as this right like seeing the shadows in the sand and like turning a corner and like you see it just as ethan sees it and it's just so awesome to watch and yeah it you're right it did sort of give me Fury Road vibes for a minute there. But I also love when he's on the building. That sequence goes through so many emotions for me, like where I'm nervous, then it's tense, then I'm like really laughing and it's funny. And then it gets like dangerous again. And then he makes it and there's so much relief, but then he has to get back down. And it's like, oh shit. <laughs> like it's so, it's like a tap dance. It's so great. Yeah, it's like the uh, cord uh, won't reach the window. So he's got to swing his way there. Which, yeah, we were saying on the night and day episode yesterday is like, how do you one up? him running on a rooftop in night and day it's like him running alongside the side of a building yeah in this movie like what the hell on the mission impossible 3 episode we talked a lot about comparing this franchise to the fast and the furious franchise for obvious reasons both because i think they are both you know some of the best action franchises of all time especially currently i love both of them i have the whole fast and furious podcast i was getting lots of fast and furious vibes here uh, specifically that open prison break reminds me a little bit of Fate of the Furious. Okay. It also reminds me a little bit of Hudson Hawk as they're breaking out <laughs> to that song, Ain't That a Kick in the Head? I yep. didn't think about it. And then Paula Patton says something like, you know, Agent Carter's like, it doesn't matter where he is as long as he's where he's supposed to be when the song ends. And I'm just like, oh, just like my favorite movie of all time, Hudson Hawk. Hudson Hawk. <laughs> where, where Bruce Willis robs Banks set to music. And it's Would like... Would you like to swing on a star? <laughs> and I was like, man, oh man, this is so good. Yeah, and I also think, comparing to Fast and Furious, another thing that I really loved about this movie, and I think it's the kind of thing that if it was a movie that I wasn't enjoying, every single one of these would irk me. The type of humor that Benji and Brant, that Simon Pegg and Jeremy Renner yes. both do, it's so beautifully effortless and charming and funny but it's also the yeah. same exact thing where like if you're bothered by it i'm like oh no i totally get it because it's all like kind of corny and kind of obvious yeah. lines and kind of action movie lines and yet i don't care at all i adore it if you put dialogue like that in the hands of, of less talented or less comedically uh, capable a- actors then it'll sound really annoying in a less sort of deserving situation you know like these are tense moments that need to be cut with some kind of something some kind of levity and you're gonna get it i feel like like it or not so it's just great that it's simon Pegg running that that part of the show too and i think that's sort of yeah that that's something sort of new to the franchise as well is like adding simon Pegg to this and having that sort of constant sort of commenting on what's going on like that also sort of like makes it more fast and furious to me as well you know it's like we have a roman now or something yeah. like that too <laughs> thinking about a, a much uh, worse tom cruise movie a- as an example like if you give uh, say um jake johnson in the uh, mummy that same dialogue then it's gonna sound <laughs> awful oh boy i forgot that he was in that movie and i uh it feels like every episode now mike we are reminded that we're we're gonna face down the mummy before too 
long. Really? I have more to say, more favorite parts of this, because I don't know if I have a least favorite part. But before I just keep blabbering, Mike, what, what are some of your favorite parts of this movie? Let's just say, like, one of my favorite and most surprising favorite parts of this movie is Jeremy Renner. I always liked Jeremy Renner, but I always felt that he was, I don't want to say one note, but known to be more of like a tough gruff badass kind of guy like Hawkeye kind of rubs me the wrong way like he's not a very cheery fellow and like I think of like a lot of his movies like that's good like he's good at doing that and in this he just seems like such a different type of actor to me. like I didn't I was not aware that he was capable of sort of doing this kind of stuff like playing off Simon Pegg or even playing off Tom Cruise and being someone trained in the field and having is so hard on himself and has like sort of lost his confidence and like his nerve and something like that like I really get that he's building it back up throughout the movie and everything so that towards the end like he's ready to become sort of a full-fledged field agent again I don't think unfortunately we ever get this much of Jeremy Renner in the future due to Avengers uh, I was really into all the stuff like his character was involved in and uh, how he sort of got roped into it and how he had to just put his trust in everybody i love that about it and then the, the whole team now in this in general like ving rames not being here is probably going to be my least favorite thing yeah. about this movie but i love agent carter she's great she's got like um you know problems going on right like sawyer was her man and like he was shot dead and now she needs revenge like she's very conflicted and i yeah. think that she plays it really well like she's not really performing the way like at times like there's times where like she's like dropping the ball dropping the ball and it's like really great how she's able to pick it back up and run with it again and stuff so yeah i really love like this new team i wish that paula Patton was in any of the uh sequels that have followed yeah that seems to be a thing right that's the issue right yeah like it seems like there's a beautiful woman in each of these movies that just doesn't return so i feel like spoilers ish for future movies, but like when Michelle Monaghan returns, even though she's not in the same type of role or dynamic, like it's the same character, but a different role within the movie, it's like a welcome return because it's not one and done. Like it's not Maggie yeah. Q in three. It's not, uh, mm-hmm. what's her name from Maeve. Westworld in two. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they have been able to uh, keep uh, Rebecca Ferguson. And also hopefully in, I think, I think she's coming back in seven and eight, like Vanessa Kirby, my new favorite oh, yeah. darling Hattie Shaw from also from Hobbs and Shaw. Like, I think that she's coming back too. So like they, they have an amazing track record. Like the only thing that they're better at than finding amazing, beautiful, badass women to cast in their movies is failing to keep them around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't it know. It seems to be sort of like, um, I don't know, but like there's, certain, there's like a thing going on with these movies up until this point, I feel like where for me, they really get on track, but like, you know, there's a different director in every movie, right? Like in this one, at least they have the sense to sort of like show why he's not going to return. They're just going to kill him off. But what happened to Lawrence Fishburne? You know, what happened to Anthony Hopkins? You know, there's like such a rich cast of characters that are just one and done. And so I almost wondered if they're sort of feeling Female trouble throughout the series as of up to now was because of something like that, where they're like, oh, well, we can just do like reset every movie sort of. And like, we'll just keep Ving Rhames as the constant, I guess, until now. Like <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, each uh, edition up until now is, is almost a sort of a soft reboot in a way. There's sort of, I mean, it's not like Bond in that 
it's a new actor in the leading role, even though I think that also goes back to your earlier point, Mike, about like maybe why we're not seeing Jeremy Renner, aside from just playing Hawkeye, is to a certain extent, I think he was kind of promised the franchise. Like he was yeah. brought in to take over for Tom Cruise, and then that mm. clearly didn't happen. And it's the same yeah, thing. Like I think he was the born one, right? Yeah, he was yeah. sort of brought in to take over for Matt Damon. Matt Damon's like, hey, just kidding. I'm back now. It's like, <laughs> oh no, like poor guy. But he's got Hawkeye. He's good. He's married to Linda Cardellini in that movie franchise. He's good. Uh, I'm sure he's got a lovely personal life too. I just don't know it. Well, yeah, he's uh, singing country music in the <laughs> last time I checked. <laughs> Oh boy, I forgot all about that. Okay, um, some new tech in this movie that I really love. I love the hallway. I remembered the hallway manipulator, and I remembered it malfunctioning when there's more than one eyesight there. I love the water drip dropper. Like, that's just such a crazy, hyper-specific thing. I love that. That hallway stuff was amazing, because that feels real, right? Like, expensive and one of a kind, but like, this tech could exist and like that's what i liked about this movie too is like you know their mask machine breaks so like and even earlier they're just wearing makeup and benji's even like no masks what's going on so it's like it feels more real world all around with the with the tech yeah when benji in the beginning of the movie was like i want to wear a mask i was like oh i guess he's gonna wear a mask and like it's the only one i think in the entire franchise or at least to date where none of the heroes wear a mask there's only one mask in the movie it's by the villain He's wearing yeah. a mask. The mask machine that our guys have, like our team has, malfunctions. But like for something that's such a staple of the franchise, and that Benji even kind of like, you know, Chekhov's guns it. It's just like, you know, I can't wait to wear a mask. It never comes up. It's, it's something uh, very different about this movie that it's much more, I don't want to say grounded because, you know, this is so Mission Impossible after all, but they're off the grid. They're disavowed. I mean, they can't really talk to anyone uh, outside of just themselves. So it's much more like... It's like a ragtag bunch of misfits. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, too, because I feel like it, it comes across in the direction in the filmmaking. Like, Ethan does not land a lot of his jumps and, like, perfectly, you know, like, he hits his head a lot. Like, people are not smooth, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, Jeremy Renner, like, he's he, he gets the job done, but, like, everybody, I feel, you know, do things that feel sort of, like, mistakeish, and that yeah. adds to the realism of it. Like, even when Agent Carter kicks that girl out the window, it feels like instinct. Like, that felt just like, oh, I'm just, you know, and she wasn't even thinking about it. And, like, there's something so real about that moment in the middle of such sort of, like, a fantastic fight you know you think of the situation they're in and it's incredible but the actual little moment to moment beats like feel very real or, or like just before ethan does his uh zip line like he had this idea to like crawl out on a ledge and uh, jump down into a dumpster and, and then he yes well well that seemed like a good idea at the time but <laughs> yeah some more tech and i don't even know if i can call this tech that i love but you just mentioned again that scene where paula Patton kicks leah said you at the window but right before that in the simultaneous meetings i love of Benji's like face a uh, false waiter's hand where he's yeah. got the third hand that you know is the one that does the diamond swap I think that's really cool I also love the briefcase with like a printer in it somehow that prints oh, yeah. out the duplicate mm-hmm. nuclear launch codes that they're getting via transmitted from the floor above or below from the contact lens like there's so much complicated <laughs> stuff working perfectly in tandem there like it's just amazing I love that contact lens right because in a previous Mission Impossible movie it would work perfectly and it would be like you won't even notice it's there you know like there'd be a line like that but no in this you can see it's like bothering him and you know he has to take so many photos you know (laughs) and so again that's more of like that grounding 
that I and think. what's cool is like that's what gives them away is that like she notices that he's winking or blinking a lot and she's like something's weird here and then she looks a little closer and she sees like the lines the code or whatever and she's like kill him and so like it it's not flawless it's not maybe the best stuff maybe there's a better version that they just don't have their hands on because they were disavowed right so it all mm, yeah. comes into play anything else that we want to we want to you know heap praise upon this before we struggle to come up with some things that we don't like about it. any other scenes or moments or technology or anything that you uh, want to highlight here favorite parts of Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol I thought it was pretty funny that Jeremy Renner's in this and he plays Hawkeye and him and Black Widow have this running joke about Budapest and this uh-huh. movie there's like an incident in Budapest like he's not there for it but I just kind of love that coincidence very cool about it, watching this <laughs> like you sort of mentioned Bond before and like you know I feel like the two franchises are very distinct in their own ways but i love how this sort of picks up on like the travelogue aspect of bond movies and that's a little more that's a little harder represented in this one than in previous mission impossibles i feel they go to a lot of different places they're like very globe trotting around here not, yeah it's just great to watch you know it's just great when you're just not watching a movie that takes place in one or two locations the whole time and they it's also very fast and furious of them exactly yeah <laughs> some other things i love i love uh tom cruise's like five second switch from russian general to american tourist fan of bruce springsteen like where he takes off the outfit and then reverses <laughs> uh-huh. the jacket like that's amazing remember in valkyrie how they represented the transition of speaking german to english yeah. and in this one he wakes up in the hospital and there's russian subtitles that slowly become english subtitles that was great. <laughs> I was also thinking about how difficult it must be as either a character or a real person if you read lips, which he obviously does, but reading lips in more than one language, like he has to re- <laughs> he has to recognize the language. Like it's hard enough if you only speak English, for instance, to read lips in English, but he has to read these Russian guys' lips. It's it's like this crazy skill set that he is perfect at, right? <laughs> like it's just yeah. boy oh boy. Call a throwback to uh, Vanilla Sky, maybe. Remember when he huh? and Penelope Cruz were like cuddling on that couch and drawing each other and here tom cruise draws oh, perfectly on his hand like in the pen he's like give me a pen he draws this like immaculate face and then jeremy renner's like it's a little crude but i think i know who you're talking about like it's just you know i just love this like history now with like tom cruise drawing and things that was a really fun little moment too where i was just like he is he's just been trained to do everything you know? and like he can just be a sketch artist too i will say as we kind of transition from favorite to least favorite least favorite would be probably that we get teased with a little bit of Josh Holloway that we get teased with a little bit of Sawyer from Lost in the beginning and then he dies within the first like a minute of the movie yeah. so I didn't like that yeah. just because I like him but I like that he comes back later that we get a little bit of a flashback later I think that's cool that it's like mm-hmm. hey we see what happens this is an example Mike where we were saying in Mission Impossible 3 I hated the fact that like we start and it's Cruz against Philip Seymour Hoffman in that room right and yeah, we got like the middle of the movie yeah, yeah and we're just like oh god like come on stop it but here it works because it's not the apex of the scene. Like we're starting in an action scene we're going to circle back around to, but yes. it's not the Tom Cruise scene. It's some other agent. And it's like, it's crazy. And it's setting things up beautifully. Like this is exactly how that should work, I think. And I, I know agree. that you can't always do this, but this is flawless. So Dan Colon, if you're listening, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> 
I feel like they also use Sawyer sort of as like the Carrie Russell in this, you know, where it's like, yeah. oh, great, she's going to be in the movie. Oh, no, she's not going to be in the movie. You're talking about Carrie Russell, and they start talking about Carrie Russell in the last Skywalker. What's the Rise of Skywalker? Like, she's just in all these. She's just teasing <laughs> well, all these. That too. Movies. That too. But no, I mean, in the last Mission Impossible, right? Where it's yeah. like she gets taken out very early. But I do, yeah, I love how they go back and they show the whole, like, she's telling the story and we get to see what's happening. You know, I will just say on a broader level, both to the Carrie Russell point, you just made into the Josh Holloway thing here is that I think my least favorite part of this movie is that it's like a compliment to the movie is that these characters who are added and have on, or they're on screen for two or three minutes feel so real and three-dimensional and fully realized that I want more of them. And I know that you don't need hmm. that, that they're working as well as they are because of their specific role in the movie. But like Leah Sadu is in this for a little bit. Like it's sort of like the Gal Gadot problem from Night and Day where it's like, why are you on yeah. screen for a minute and then you you leave forever? Like, give me more. Like what what's going on? It's a backhanded insult. Like it's instead of a backhanded compliment where it's like it's kind of an insult. Like this is kind of a compliment. <laughs> it's like you're doing such a good job at like controlling who's in the movie and when they're in the movie. But, like, I want more of them because they're all so good that I know that I can't. Yeah, I've, I've sort of, like, a very similar problem with the reason my, my least favorite part of this movie. And that's that there's no Ving Rhames, right? But then, on the other hand, like, where can you put them? Like, the movie is so great, like, without them as much as I'd love them to be here. You know, and, like, that's my conundrum. It's, like, there's just not enough room for everything going forward in every movie. You know, the Jeremy Renner issue coming up and stuff. Like, sure, like, he had prior obligations, maybe, but I'm sure they could have figured something out. Or I'm on the same page with you joey like basically it's just like everything is good and i want more of it yeah (laughs) i feel sort of shortchanged even though i'm totally not because everything is made up for uh and it's just like my greediness maybe at this point as a viewer where it's just like that's so great why does it have to go oh well like damn it i guess i'll have to rewatch this movie so now before we get to jeremy's least favorite part i do want to ask you because we should have maybe done this at the beginning or maybe it's fine to do it now i think you and i are both similar in that in our ranking of the first three movies there was one with a bullet at the top and then way down below a couple tiers below in some order very close i think two and three is that fair to say mike yeah yeah so where does this i'm assuming this is very close to one do you have this if you had to say would it be ranked above one do you like one more than this how does this compare to the first movie it's kind of weird like it's definitely Definitely a better movie than one, right. right? But there's just something that I feel like one needs to be in first place. Even just now, maybe it'll change down the line. But like as of these viewings, I still hold one on top because of just how re-impressed I was by it. You know, how I was just like, holy shit. Like, I wonder, I don't think like someone could remake that movie today, you know, like the way it is then and all of its flaws and everything. I love it. So while I acknowledge this is better, I still have a place in my heart for one right now where I can't knock it out of first place yet, but it'll, you know, eventually I think it's definitely going to sort of go in like a reverse order for me you know like i think it's like fallout the next one then this one and then one and then two and then three like it's crazy you know, like it's crazy yeah, i know it's insane <laughs> but i think that's where it's gonna lead it's very similar to the other main franchise on our other tom tom feed on hanks for the memories our tom hanks podcast every other friday go check that out each subsequent toy story movie i think is objectively in terms of what the movie is a better movie right like in, in mm-hmm. just about every way but it's still like but the first one is so perfect and pure and the second one is incredible and like makes me sob. Like I found, okay, going back to TikTok, I don't remember if I was talking about TikTok on this yes. podcast or the other one, like one of the podcasts, <laughs> like I found some girl on TikTok who like is just singing Jesse's song. I'm like, I can't escape the tears of this song. 
each Toy Story gets better, but also each Toy Story is not as good as the previous one. It's the best problem to have, except it's kind of like if we didn't have Mission Impossible 2 or 3 and we just went from 1 to Ghost Protocol to Rogue Nation to Fallout, it's like Toy Story 1, 2, 3, 4. It's like, oh, these are all perfect, and how are we blessed to have four perfect of each of these? I don't understand. It's the best problem to have. Oh, boy. (laughs) I know, right? All right, Jeremy. If you had to say, is there anything about this movie that you don't like? Is there anything about this that you would want to room? And don't feel pressure to like just gush about it endlessly like we are, even though I feel like you're naturally pretty much there with us. But what about (laughs) this don't you like? Do you have a least favorite part of Ghost Protocol? The thing I'm thinking of right now is the um, inclusion of this agent guy, Sidorov, who uh, believes that IMF uh, is the is in oh yeah, 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 yeah. That, 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 <laughs> that they're the ones who bombed the Kremlin. Like literally, the only reason he's there is to realize at the very end of the movie, oh, they actually didn't bomb the Kremlin. Okay, and that's really all he's there for. There's like it's kind of like a punchline at the end. It's like, oh, you weren't the bad guy. It's like, yeah, <laughs> like what? What? Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to go to the hospital? I definitely uh, recalled him being in way more. Like when he was introduced to begin with, I was like, oh, right. Like he's the other guy. Like he's the pain in the neck. Like he's the guy that's going to be popping up, you know, the whole time being the bumbling inspector or whatever. And no, maybe he shows up once more, gets thrown down a flight of stairs, (laughs) and then like shows up again at the end. (laughs) I don't mind him, but it's also, I think they either could have cut him or done more with him. And I think that where he is is kind of a, I was like, do I give this? Because not that it matters to anyone but me, but when I'm ranking this on Letterboxd, I'm like, do I give it four and a half or do I give it five stars? And like, by the, like I was just having so much fun. I'm like, I can't not give this five stars. Yeah. But there's things like that where I'm just like, it's kind of like a semi-legitimate gripe. You know, there's things about the first movie that's not maybe not perfect, but like, man, the first movie's good. And like, it's just it's hard to compare this to that. But at the end of the day, I don't know, man. This is this is a great one. It's fine that it's there. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not ruining anything. But like you're saying, like, if yeah. they, it's something they could have worked with that again it's sort of like my overall gripe is like oh like i just wanted more of him you know like <laughs> he's here but we you know kind of can't fit him here but like it'd be cool if he came back one day and it'd be like remember that obscure guy from the fourth one here he is yeah <laughs> are you guys ready for some trivia about ghost protocol oh yeah of course tom cruise did most of his stunts in this movie uh, he performed the sequence where he's outside the tower, the Burj Khalifa Tower. He did that without using a stunt double. The building itself is 2,722 feet tall. He dangled outside at approximately 1,700 feet. They were using such heavy-duty cabling and wires to protect him that they you know, CGI'd out after the fact that unless like a gigantic airliner crashed directly into the building, like nothing that could have happened <laughs> would have detached him from the building. Like It was the most secure thing in the world, basically. Or like a car driving out of that building into another building. (laughs) Into another building, and then out of that building and into another building as well. So the actor who hands Ethan the black mask as they're going to meet Bogdan and the the arms dealer is the same guy who gives him the mask in the first Mission Impossible movie. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's the same character. I don't know if it's the same actor. I don't know what it is, but I was just like, that's an interesting bit of trivia. This was the highest grossing movie in the franchise and Cruz's highest grossing movie as of 2012. I think probably since then, this made $693 million worldwide. I think probably Fallout maybe topped that, but at least as of the time of this, uh, this was the highest grossing movie that Tom Cruise had ever done. And obviously, as such, also the highest Mission Impossible movie. Jeremy Renner said that working with Tom Cruise was a dream come true since he always idolized him. And he said that not only is Cruise a great actor, but he's even a nicer guy. 
which I was like, oh, right. Hawkeye. Dermot Mulrooney, I sent this over to Michael Domenico of the <laughs> Not Her Again podcast. You know, every time I have a, a news about my best friend's wedding or any kind of Julia Roberts adjacent news, <laughs> I sent to him. I'm sure he doesn't hate me for that. But Dermot Mulrooney plays cello in the orchestra for this movie. What? Because he's not only an actor, but he's also a classical cellist. And I was like, what? The hell? So J.J. Abrams was originally supposed to direct this, but there were pre-production delays on this that were delaying this film, and there were rewrites delaying this film. And so J.J. Abrams was prepping Super 8, and so he had to drop out. And they looked at Ruben Fleischer, they looked at Edgar Wright, and they could add another Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg movie. Then they eventually you know, landed on Brad Bird. The Jane Carter role went to Paula Patton. Kristen Kroik, Lana Lang from Smallville, was considered, as was Lauren German, who I think is from like Chicago Fire, like mostly TV shows that I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I think that Paula Patton here is awesome. And then for the uh, Jeremy Renner role, Anthony Mackie. So we had Hawkeye, but we almost had Falcon. Uh, Christopher Egan, Kevin Zegers, Chris Pine, and Tom Hardy were all considered to play Brit. And I can kind of see, you know, Tom Hardy and Chris Pine as those, like, stereotypical, like, action franchise leading men. I think it would have been really cool if Anthony Mackie was, like, the face of a franchise. I guess he is. Spoilers. Captain America now, but, you know. It would have been cool to see Tom Hardy play sort of a less confident guy or something. Like, like I mean, I guess we get that too much in Venom. Sorry, I was trying to back Our favorite movie, Venom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any other thoughts about Ghost Protocol? I do want to say the other cool bit of tech that I don't think we've mentioned yet is the magnet robot that yeah. propels Jeremy Renner like into the Mission Impossible 1 pose, hovering above <laughs> the fan and sort of through the navigation thing there. That's crazy cool, where he jumps through the, basically down like the elevator shaft into the bottom and he's propelled by that. Like, that's awesome. But any other thoughts about Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol before we play a couple games and nominate this for some awards? What did you guys think of Mikkel Nyquist as the uh, as uh, Hendrix in this movie? Because uh, at this point, I had seen him in the uh, Swedish uh, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo films. That's Cobalt, right? Like, that's co- codenamed Cobalt? That's yeah. The guy you're yeah, like, I was that's at first, hmm, like, I don't know. Like, he's not, he didn't seem that villainous enough. But then they play, like, this speech that he gives where he's, like, talking about how nuclear annihilation is part of natural evolution i'm like holy shit okay i i just like he is a psychopath as much as he's there like he's kind of behind the scenes but as much as he's there i really liked it and i liked at the end my oh my god like one of the craziest moments is when he just grabs the briefcase and and commits suicide or tries to and like jumps down the car park so that ethan can't get the fucking briefcase i was like that is total commitment right like for your cause willing to die for your cause like that like yeah, I thought he was pretty great. I think he works really well because we don't know a ton about him. Like, he's just kind of this villainous, like, super evil villain that we know a little bit of backstory, but because he's so mysterious, I think he works really, really well. I don't totally buy him during the uh, hand-to-hand fight scenes. Like, he, he didn't strike me as a very physical guy. He, he seemed more strategic than, than anything, but, like, the speech he gave it was something that, that, that did really resonate. And I think his size helps, and the fact that Ethan just, like, must have, like, 20 broken bones at that point in the movie that he's just you know Ethan has been getting his ass handed to him like throughout this whole movie like that's what's so great you know you there's sort of been a lot made about Joey I know you probably read about like Hobbs and Shaw about how like sometimes The Rock and Jason Statham have like this hit count or something the number yeah. of times like mm-hmm. they want to get hit. and like in this you, we see Tom Cruise just like getting beat to shit for two hours and I love it and so that also at the end when he's sort of getting taken in the fight like makes a little more sense at least. Mike any other thoughts about Ghost Protocol? I was just loved rewatching it this time like there's so many just little parts and moments that I 
didn't recall. And yeah, I just love it. You know, I'm just so excited to get to the next one. Like, I know we got a couple of films in between, but it, I'm so happy that like, I know there are these Mission Impossible benchmarks along the way. Yeah, between here and there, we have Rock of Ages, Jack Reacher, Oblivion, and Edge of Tomorrow. So uh, there's some okay. really good stuff in there. And there's also some maybe, you know, TBD on Rock of Ages, which you and I have not seen yet, I don't think. But uh, Correct. Who boy. Mm. All right, cool. Okay, we played this every time we do a Mission Impossible movie, but Jeremy, do you think Tom Hanks could play the role of Ethan Hunt? Or if not, and probably the answer is no, do you think that he would fit in somewhere else in this movie? And which character do you think he could play if he doesn't play Ethan Hunt? I don't think I could see him as as Ethan Hunt. I mean, uh, Hanks isn't really an, uh, an action guy anyway, but I could see him uh, in the role of the um, IMF secretary. Yeah, I could totally see that, like as one of the directors or something. Or, okay, what about this? What if they did like a um, Mission Impossible circle crossover and Ethan Hunt has to infiltrate the circle and tom hanks is the evil overlord of the circle (laughs) don't remind me of the circle well we gotta get to there too states one day soon too (laughs) it's so bad i might i might bail on hanks with memories mike before we get there because it is it's that it's who boy it is a stinker all right so then the next question we have and the answer Obviously, yes. Does Tom Cruise run in this movie? Big old yes to that. Oh, gee, I wonder. Now, here's an important question for you, though, Jeremy. We've played this in other Tom Cruise movies. We found on Twitter, Harperfect says you could change Tom Cruise's character name in any movie to Lightning McQueen and not a thing would change. Do you think if he was Special Agent or IMF Agent Lightning McQueen, this would still work? Because I think Mike and I every time say yes, but of course here, even though, what do we learn that Ethan is his mom's maiden name, Mike? So Ethan is his mom's maiden name and Hunt, obviously his father's real last. So he's got two last names. I love it. (laughs) But do you think, Jeremy, that he could be Special Agent Lightning McQueen? Oh, sure. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. The final thing you have to do is nominate this for some awards. I was trying to think. I had a thought today, Mike, when I was editing Night and Day, Mm. and I don't remember what it was. The Golden Missions, maybe? No, did I say that last night i don't remember it's still up for debate but we'll figure it out but okay best film yes so now we have two mission possible movies i do have another thought though here mike and we're gonna have to get this one between the mm-hmm. time when we finish the podcast and then nom or you know announce the awards for people to vote on we're gonna have to sit down off mic and sort of split this up and sort of you know limit the number of nominees so on and so forth i'm thinking maybe what we do is we have like a most athletic feet mission impossible category and then most oh. athletic feet not mission impossible category because like there's, there's certain yeah. things that like the rest of his movies they just aren't going to stack up you know what i mean like totally we have like Best film, Mission Impossible category. Best film, not Mission Impossible. Like, it just feels like there's going to be three or four nominated in there, and like it's not fair. So we'll, we'll figure yeah. it out. But I, I, I had that thought today. Okay, good thought. Good okay. thought. I like it. Best role, we already have him there. Most badass role, we have him there. Best fight, yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, do we have to pick one? I don't. <laughs> yes, we have to pick. We have to pick one. Maybe the opening, the prison scene, is pretty great. That's incredible. The other stuff is like it's cool, and we're gonna nominate the other stuff. But I feel like the hand-to-hand combat, the prison breakout, is just untouchable. Yeah. You know, he does fight an entire bunch of prisoners. <laughs> Best theme song soundtrack score. We have the franchise nominated already. Best vehicle chase slash race. I feel like this is the one thing that's not, like, of all the things, this is maybe, like, a a B grade instead of an A grade, but I think that's just because it's not the set pieces that are designed. Like, there is the, I think it's a BMW or whatever, the hybrid, they're driving Mm -hmm. through the city, and, like, there's cool stuff there, but I feel like 
it's mostly foot chases, right? Like it's, there's the car yeah. park action scene, but like there's not a set piece here built around cars. I don't think. Yeah, right. I mean, I mean that there's the uh, one in in the uh, sandstorm, but it's not really about the uh, car chase in that scene. Right. So we can let's, let's skip that one for now. Best dancing. I don't think that he dances. Best outfit wardrobe. Do you want to say Russian general? It's pretty great with like the fake mustache and everything. It's so good. Nose. Best sunglasses. Does he wear specific? Oh, I do love here when he gets the mission on the Russian phone and then it doesn't explode. He has to go over and he's like basically <laughs> Fonzie the phone so that they explode. <laughs> I thought that was pretty great. But best sunglasses. There's something in here that he cool sunglasses that he wears here. Uh, not to my knowledge. Not that I can recall. Okay. They're nothing, you know, not like the exploding sunglasses from like part two or anything. Right. Best death. Did we say that he, he doesn't oh. die? No, not in this one. Um, so best line. There's a couple different ones. Oh come on, mission accomplished is amazing. It's, I that's can't, good. I can't believe he says it out loud. Like it's so great. I don't want to nominate this, but uh, camels when he's driving <laughs> and he's just like camels. I love when he's climbing the building and Jeremy Renner's like knocking 34 minutes, knocking 32 oh, minutes, and Tom Cruise says. <laughs> Your countdown is not helping, which I think is pretty great. <laughs> oh, what was the yeah. other one where, where he says, like, no shit? What, what's that? What's he replying to? Oh, where he's like, oh, your rope isn't long enough. And he's yeah. like, yeah, the rope, the rope is too short. Yeah. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> when Benji is showing him the gloves, it, like, I remember this uh, from the trailer uh, when he said, remember, blue is glue. And when it's red, dead. <laughs> I, I'm going to nominate your mission accomplished Mike, line, Mike, but uh, the other line that I wrote down that I really, really liked is when he says to the guy at the end, I'm taking that briefcase. It's like, oh boy, like you don't want to hear, you don't want to be on the wrong end of a Ethan Hunt declarative statement like that. It's just like, oh, <laughs> that's terrifying. But I will say mission accomplished. Mission dot, 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 accomplished. Best freak out? Like, here's the thing about Ethan Hunt. Like, I feel like he's always at a certain level of freaking out he's but like, like is trained yeah he's always angry right like ethan's always freaking out but he's like just so well trained to sort of like have these moments where he, he can make it about the mission in the moment and stuff and then when he has time he can like maybe explode in a bathroom somewhere to himself or something but like there's no like definitive moment in the in the movie to say that but like i just wanted to say like i always just picture him on the inside like freaking out like because there's even there's like the moment at the end of this where he gets in the car and he's like i don't know what i'm gonna do but i'm about to do something and i'm freaking out man <laughs> and he just like puts it in drive and drives it like 15 feet off of the thing down to the bottom of the car park so I don't know. He's like in this perpetual state of just like fight or flight kind of thing. You know, it also reminds me of a movie that we have not talked about on a podcast in a while, not since our Apollo 13 episode, but like Ad Astro, where Brad Pitt always has like the 45 beats per minute, oh. heartbeat or 35 or whatever it is, like some, yeah. you know, immaculately. <laughs> like he's kind of, it's the same thing, but just like always at like 115. Just like he's, it's, it's probably unhealthy to sustain that, but like he's managing it and like he doesn't show it. But best sex scene, no, most athletic feat climbing the Burj Khalifa? Yeah, <laughs> probably. I mean, even though in the movie he's supposed to have those electronic gloves and stuff, well, yeah, like, even if those gloves were real, these this would still be, like, so hard to do. I mean, not... And that's the thing, though. I watch it, and I'm like, I'm sure somebody could do that, right? Like, it, it looks really hard, but it's probably not impossible, right? I feel like it's a, an accomplishable moment, right? They really keep it at that level. In, in that same scene, best running scene, running alongside the Burj Khalifa oh, in Mission Impossible Ghost <laughs> Protocol. Has Cruz ever played an astronaut? Not has yet. He played an astronaut? I know he will in Oblivion, but I don't think he has. Cruz is kind of like Stanley Kubrick in a, in a way. You know the old joke that uh, Kubrick uh, filmed the moon landing because he would insist on, you know, 
absolute realism. I feel like if Cruz ever played an astronaut, then he would want to actually film in space. Well, there's rumors. You know, yeah, there's the joke that like Fast and Furious is going to space. Like Mission Impossible's got to go to space too. Like, how could you not? It's the new <laughs> space race. Who's going to get there first? <laughs> I think I think probably Mission Impossible. To be honest, as much as that thing's going to say, they got that Tom Cruise cash and clout, and I think I feel like that might be the only reason is because they have the they might have the money to go there first. <laughs> it's not like Fast and Furious is lacking for money. Like Universal's like, no, what but, do you want? But, Here you go. But I'm sure, like, if Paramount was like, no, 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 Tom Cruise. Could just turn around and be like, all right, here's like a couple yeah, million yeah, yeah. dollars. My own money. Best love story or worst love story where there's no love story here. Best ensemble cast. I'm going to, we ha- we nominated Mission Impossible 3. We can also put Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol here because I think, once again, Paula Patton and Jeremy Renner and Simon Pegg and everybody here is just like, it's all coming together to be so good. Each of the parts is great, but some of the parts is still, you know, the whole is greater than some of the parts. Like, it's just great. Yeah, it's weird. Like, I, I would watch like a short film about Benji passing his field tests. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the vibe. Like, it should have been an extra or something like on the disc. Like the equivalent of Forky asks a question, but just Benji takes a test. <laughs> and then the final thing, best non-cruise actor, male or female, we have from the franchise already, we've got Philip Seymour Hoffman from Mission Impossible 3. We've got Ving Rhames as Luther in the entire franchise, but is there anybody else in this movie specifically? The ensemble kind of does it here, kind of covers it, but is there anybody yeah. here that really rises above? You know, Simon Pegg it might eventually make the list too. I don't know that he's there yet, but close? I would say not right now. Yeah, but it's pretty remarkable how, like, this is... I mean, he was in the last movie for a scene, but this is pretty much his, like, North American debut, I'd say. And, like, holy shit, like, toe-to-toe with, you know, Tom Cruise and, like, in a huge Hollywood Mission Impossible movie. Like, I give him, like, so much credit. I mean, you know, I've seen, like, the Edgar Wright stuff and it's based in some of it that. But, like, to it just seems like he made that leap so I want to say easily because I'm sure he worked his ass off and shit. But, like, it looks so effortless for him to be up there with those guys. Like, he just, like, got catapulted right to that spot. And I feel like he's really uh, working it really well. So so the awards, the new awards for Ghost Protocol, ignoring what we had as a franchise, we have Best Film, Best Fight, Best Outfit, Best Line, Most Athletic Feet, Best Running Scene, and Best Ensemble Cast. Seven new awards wow. for Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. <laughs> and it deserves each and every one. Uh, speaking of uh, outfits, uh, I was reading uh, this article the other day about the uh, different haircuts that Ethan has had in each of these movies. Yeah, it's sort of longer again in this one, I noticed. You know, it's more like part yeah. two. It doesn't flow quite as much, but, uh, but yeah, it's still longer than what we're used to. I like that. It just shows that there's been like time has passed, you know, and like... Yeah, they think about that kind of thing. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us. I think this is a series wrap for you on Cruise Club, mostly just because there's not that many more Cruise movies left, but you will be back for a movie that we referenced on the Night and Day episode that Mike mentioned or that Walter used as reference to Mike. Sully, you will be back for Sully over on Hanks of the Memory. So thank you for joining us. We're looking forward to seeing you again soon later this year. Yeah, I look forward to being back. Well, for all things Cruise Club, actually, no, sorry, before we do that, hold on, I am so ahead of myself. So Mike, next episode on Cruise Club, we've got, like we've mentioned before, Rock of Ages. So it's oh the only Tom Cruise movie that I have not seen yet that is out. So this is a uh, very special occasion. Between now and then, though, we have Road to Perdition, a movie that I am uh, 
afraid of because i don't know anything about it but like <laughs> the way that you describe it makes me afraid and i don't know why what, and i don't know if i should be what did i describe it as? I, don't I don't know remember. okay well I, all i'll say about road to perdition is that i owe it to kyle i'm finally gonna watch this movie kyle <laughs> i know if you're listening because like he's been on my ass about watching this movie maybe since we've met <laughs> you know we've been friends for like over a decade finally getting the road to perdition <laughs> well he is going to be on that episode with us unless something happens so you know he can talk oh, about yeah. it we, finally he can talk about it with you then but for all things cruise club and hanks for the memories and all 26 shows here on the network you go to cageclub.me facebook.com slash cage club or at cage club pod on twitter and instagram email us run r-u-n at cageclub.me come back next week on our hanks for the memories feed for road to perdition come back in two weeks for Stacy Jacks in Rock of Ages. <laughs> and go check out all 32, 33, whatever, 33 episodes of Cruise Club wherever you find this podcast. Because this is this podcast. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Jeremy Kelly. And we'll see you next time right here on Cruise Club. How lucky can one guy be? I kissed her and she kissed me. Like the fella once said, ain't that a kick in the head?